pick the knife back up and I was, you know, just doing the sensory things. And you'll hear this a lot of stories is you're placing it against and you're just feeling that the knife exists and that you exist in the moment. You're kind of placing it on your skin and realizing this is like a reality um, because a lot of what you feel when you're going through this is numbness. And mm-hmm. so to feel something, it feel tangible. And a lot of times that that attempt or that uh, that reason that you've started to do things is because you want you're wanting so bad to feel something mm-hmm. that you you're going for anything at this point. And so I was going through that and I remember placing it up to my neck again. And my phone rang and I'm not going to name the person because they to this day, they don't know what they did. And I couldn't put that weight on somebody. Wow. Um, but my phone rang and it was like 430 in the morning and uh, it was one of my friend's moms. And she called me and she said, I just had this feeling that I had to call you. She hadn't she hadn't maybe called me twice in my entire life, called me twice. Um, and I remember picking up the phone and going, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Are you looking to pursue excellence and take your success to the next level? You're in the right place. Welcome to Excellence Mindset with your host, Ryan James Miller. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. Uh, Today's episode is going to be quite a bit different, I think, uh, than what you may expect if you've been listening for a period of time, uh, both because uh, there is three of us today. That's a first. Woot woot. Um, Also, because the topic and if you... Uh, don't think of how this applies. It may be so off topic or so just off of what I'm typically talking about as it relates to mindset. So anyway, let me dig in. I'm going to introduce who's sitting here. We're all live in studio together. It feels so important because we're all staring at each other. We're recording on St. Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. Jessica Gay's over here looking all nice and pretty. Thank you for being here, Jessica. You're welcome. I know. I wasn't going to introduce you yet, but I just couldn't help it. (laughs) Over on my left side, Cody Fairfield. He's back. I am back. Very excited to be back. And you're green too. I know. It's very festive in here. I'm very impressed. I wish that we were just that we were live live right now because then everybody would be feeling our festivities. It's true. It's true. No one's getting pinched. No, no, not today. We were making sure that nobody here was pinchable. Mm -hmm. That way, Mm -hmm. mid-interview would be awkward. Cody will take his shirt off just so I can pinch him. (laughs) (laughs) Not on, (laughs) unless we're on camera as well. Oh, and we are videoing this. There you go. So somebody's going to see this. Um, Okay, so uh, I had this crazy idea, uh, and it was all uh, out of selfishness, at least to start, but I think it was with good intention. So um, I, for the first time in a long time, uh, no, first time ever uh, started dealing with bouts of anxiety. Um, I I would have said that there was probably times in my life that I was anxious before, and yet I had no idea what I was talking about. And I think that's something we'll probably talk about later mm-hmm. is just this idea that um, you can feel anxious and not have uh, anxiety or, um, you know, people automatically go into this, like, I have a panic attack, or I have an anxiety attack. And it's just, I, I think there is difference there. Absolutely. Um, I'm also talking as somebody that knows very little about this, both because it's been very fresh for me, but also because I just never really thought to to dig in too much. And so this is going to be both therapeutic and cathartic as we go. Um, so yeah, so I had a nasty bout of anxiety two weeks ago. Um, so much so that 
I let's see here. Uh, I think it started probably a day or two before I realized that it was getting bad. And it was the result of I thought that I was going to potentially lose a big client. And so that was digging right into uh, my well-being and my family's well-being. So that that scared me a little bit. That's one thing that I know that's a trigger for me. Um, But um, once it came Wednesday morning, two weeks ago, Wednesday, no, last Wednesday, I guess I woke up two weeks ago and I was like numb. Like it was so bad that I remember I woke up, I didn't go to the gym that morning just because my schedule didn't, uh, didn't lend itself to go that morning. And I came into the office and I was sitting there and I remember getting on a client call and I don't even remember what I talked to them about. For an hour, I was on the phone with a client. And so then that obviously just my whole day just seemed to get like worse and worse. And I was like texting Michelle, my wife, and I'm like, I don't know what the hell's going on with me, but this doesn't feel good. I don't know what to do with myself. And so that's when I realized that, um, and and I mean this in the best of ways, that I recognized I had a problem, Mm -hmm. right? Like there was a real issue there. So I just thought that this would be a great conversation to have. I know that Cody, in the past, we've talked about the fact that um, you've been at this battle for a while. And I think that for the better part of it, you are on the better side of this. 100%. Yes. Yeah. Um, Jess, I know that you've said you've dealt with this, but we actually haven't had this conversation very Mm -hmm. much outside of this. It's new for everyone. So this is going to be fun today. So before I get any farther into talking for two hours all by myself, (laughs) why doesn't one of you, and I don't really care, maybe ladies first. So here's a question and maybe we can just lay this out. So when I say dealing with anxiety, what does that mean to you personally? Um, well, first I want to bring up the point that you talked about how people have a feeling and what kind of made sense to me when I started dealing with anxiety when I was like 22, 23 is that anxiety is not only a verb, but it's a noun. And like you can Mm -hmm. have anxious feelings and you can worry about things, but when you actually have like the verb of anxiety, that's completely different. And, uh, wait, what was your question? Yeah, (laughs) no, no, that's good. I love it. She's already like. She just got so smart on us real quick that yeah. she forgot. So what does it mean to you when I say like you deal with anxiety? So what what does you deal with anxiety so mean for, for you? So for me, because anxiety is definitely, it's like not a one size fits all type thing. Yeah. Um, so I've been dealing with anxiety for four and a half, five years now. Mm-hmm. And basically I have different things that trigger it. And over the years, I've been able to dial down what triggers my anxiety. And then there's those times where I have no idea what's triggering my anxiety. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, like your own adventure type thing, Mm -hmm. just going along with it. Uh, but I have moments of anxiety where I feel like it's things that I can't control that either affect my everyday life or affect my routine. And like, I am a person that's very spontaneous and I just go with the flow, especially with work and life and everything. But at the end of the day, I'm a creature of habit and so when there's outside factors that trigger intrinsic things within me, that's when my anxiety kicks in. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, that's good. Definitely. So I, I would touch on exactly what you said in terms of it being both a noun and a verb. And there, you have an ability to have anxiety. Um, but when you are having anxiety and when you are in the middle of these attacks, it is, it's much more debilitating than I think most people understand. understand. 
Um, for me, I've dealt with it on and off throughout the entire looking back through my life and actually having conversations with my parents probably since I was four or five years old. Wow. Um, it went unrecognized for a very long time. That snowballed. Um, my parents went through a divorce. And this is where it kind of ex- exacerbated and became things that fundamentally changed the way that I functioned with um, my education process, with my friends, with my parents. Um, I went from a kid who was extremely extroverted. Um, I was the top of the charts with grades. Um, and it all kind of flipped on its head. I, I introverted. I would uh, kind of dive into video games and things like that where I didn't have to have actual social, social interaction. Mm. Um, and it wasn't something I didn't recognize myself, but I didn't know that it was different. I didn't know that it was, it was outside the ordinary because these feelings had already always kind of been around for me. Um, and the way that I would describe it is that it became, it is something that debilitated me when I was going through this experience. Um, my anxiety was something where it was like impending doom on myself for unexplainable reasons for things that should not have created these feelings. Um, you know, uh, when, when I became a teenager and of course you're dealing with different hormonal changes and puberty and all these other things and the the stressors of, um, you know, different types of social interaction, uh, and then having the, the family part break down a little bit for, for some time. Um, it, it just elevated those levels to where I was having attacks and not knowing where my trigger was coming from or knowing mm-hmm. that it, what, what even the word trigger meant. Yep. Um, and I, there were days, uh, freshman year in high school, I can remember being in class. And next thing I know, I woke up in a hospital because I just couldn't Whoa. control my breathing. I would fall unconscious in the floor in an ambulance in the hospital. My parents would show up going, what's going on. They drug tested me for everything they could drug test me for. Um, because they thought you were taking drugs, yeah, right? They, they assumed that Seriously. I was on drugs hundred percent. Every, every single time I, I went through a drug test, every time that I ended up, it probably happened three or four times throughout my freshman year in high school. How long ago was that? Uh, 2004, 2004. Okay. So, so freeze on that because I think mm-hmm. that's really interesting. So that's 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. If that would happen today, like how, how much differently, right? Like, I think that like that, that was very out of the norm mm-hmm. in a sense, right? And so it was immediately attributed to, well, you've got to be doing something else. Right. Whereas now I feel like everything is an anxiety attack mm-hmm. and everything is anxiety. And, and, and this is like wholesale on everything that we do, right? right? Like a, a kid runs around too many, in too many circles and they have ADHD mm-hmm. and, you know, prescription. And so it, it's so much different now, right? Like, I mean, right. I think that's at least one thing to point out as you continue telling your story. Like, that's crazy to me because... Mm-hmm which it makes more sense. Like, I like the fact that they were like, okay, well, there's got to be something else wrong with you. Right. Whereas now, nowadays, it's just like, oh, you've got anxiety. Right. But it's hard too because even working with high schoolers, everything's a panic attack and everything's an yeah. anxiety attack. And it's getting to the point where we're now acknowledging this part of mental illness and just mental health. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, we're not educating people on what anxiety is and that it's actually something that people have every day and not just, oh, I forgot right. my textbook at home. I have anxiety now. Uh, yeah. That's a like, big, Because they're now using the verb instead of the noun. Right. Yes. Yeah. No, no. That, I mean, that's really good to point out. And I mean, I, I don't want to like blast my my own people, but like this was so Alexis, she's my 17 year old daughter. She she tells me the other day that she ends up uh, she says I had an anxiety attack in class. And that was like she broke down crying. Adrenaline's through the roof. She can't do anything. Did she have an anxiety attack? Possibly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that was the first thing that she thought of. 
right? right? Like yeah. after that event, and I'm sure that that was contributed to by everybody else that was around, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh my gosh, like you were just freaking out. You must have had a panic attack or an anxiety attack. And it's like, slow down for a minute. Like, let's not go there so fast. Right. I think that happens like so quickly. Definitely. And and that was for me how I distinguished that I was there. There was something bigger going on with me than it was just an acute incidence. Um, so like, and, and to anybody listening, like the, you can, anybody can have an anxiety attack. That's, right. that's not, right. that's not to say that anxiety attacks mm. aren't possible people who don't have anxiety Yeah, happens all the time. But I think what we're talking about is something that's perpetual. Mm-hmm. It's something I'm dealing with on a daily basis, whether people recognize that in me or not. It's something that I will probably deal with for the rest of my life. And, and at times I don't know why I get these feelings. I don't know why it just occurs the way it does. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something about the way that my brain processes information or the way that, uh, I, I, um, I encode the world mm-hmm. and that's the way my body reacts. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the biggest point to me. And, and again, kind of like our other podcast that we did where we talked about, like the reason we're talking about these things and sharing this experience and, and saying you're using different phrases the way we do is, is not to turn people off, but to realize that we, in learning about mental health, we also have to be, be able to distinguish what is a real problem and what is an acute incidence. Right. right. Um, because we are hopping people up on SSRIs at an enormous yeah. rate. Yeah. Uh, we are assuming that that medications are an end-all be-all. And I can tell you that the medication I was on made me worse. Yeah. It did not help the problem. Uh, and all the doctors wanted to do was throw me on more medication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I wasn't about that. And so, and so that just again, like this just triggered something in my head. So I'm listening to this podcast the other day and uh, it's on Joe or Joe Rogan's podcast. And he's talking to uh, two guys, one who just wrote uh, a book not too long ago. I cannot remember each of their names, but uh, he wrote a book uh, basic after writing a New York times op-ed piece on like how bad marijuana, it, marijuana use is and it's trigger for psychoactivity and schizophrenia. And so, I mean, he like went way too hard down one side to where I did not agree with everything that he said. The other guy that's on, and so they're having this debate. The other guy that's on is a a doctor from Canada and he is a cannabis doctor. Basically, like he treats post-traumatic stress. He Mm -hmm. treats um, a lot of um, uh, military, um, you know, and veterans. And so, and he's talking about all the benefits of doing that. But even as I was listening to that, and obviously one side is like, don't ever, don't ever touch this stuff. But like in this growing area of medical marijuana, which I feel like there's some huge benefits to Mm -hmm. both THC and non-THC versions, right? Mm -hmm. And like federally, there's a whole other discussion there. You being uh, an educator, right, or in a school system, Jessica, like it's even more like you got to be so much more careful, right? Mm-hmm. Like how that how that's talked about. But like, how crazy is this? Like they're talking about, and especially the guy up in Canada, and he wasn't talking about it irresponsibly, but he's saying that like this is a great medicine. He literally said mm-hmm. medicine. This is a great medicine for things like anxiety and depression. And so now if I'm connecting the dots, if I'm a 16 or 17 or 18 year old kid and I'm having episodes and I don't know what they are, but I'm like, I'm having anxiety attacks. My mom or dad is not educated as to what that even means. But I heard somebody say Mm -hmm. that medical marijuana is the way to cure this. Then all of a sudden we put somebody down this dependency path Mm -hmm. that doesn't even fix whatever the problem really is. And then it creates a whole ton of other issues. Yep. Totally. Right? It's crazy. Totally. And I, I think Jess has more experience in that kind of thing, too, with uh, with dealing with high school athletes and things like mm-hmm. that. And Yeah, it's interesting because. Like, so do you want to like share a little bit about I mean, you don't have to go like by no, name. I will. 
Um, oh, no, not not people by name, but like what you do or like your role. Right. So, you know, being an athletic trainer, I am able to deal with the physical, um, emotional and spiritual needs of my athletes, um, which is awesome because I get to work in this private Christian school so I can share my faith and all those things. But for example, I have this one kid, he's a great kid. Um, you know, does have ADHD is medicated. He's, you know, an athlete he's going to play in college and everything. But he just went down this path of, based on our relationship and getting to know him, what sounded like actual anxiety. Mm. Like he was just a kid who was a little lost and he didn't know what to do. So he started smoking marijuana. And my question to him was, so what is this helping and what is this doing? Mm. Is this fixing your problem or is it a band-aid for your problem? I think that's where kids today... Oops. (laughs) Kids today go with that is because they they don't know what to do. Yeah. It's... It's blown up because they see one thing on social media and another thing on social media is like Mm -hmm. sweet. Like I heard like CBD is going to help me, but I'm not going to ask my parents for CBD because they think it's just marijuana and I want to get high. But at the same time, I don't know what to do because I'm underage. And so now they just got get a hold of marijuana and they're smoking marijuana. Right. And it's like, so what is that fixing? Right. Well, I think something important you touched on too is, and this goes for the medications that are actually given, like SSRIs that are actually given for anxiety, depression, those kind of things. They're not an end-all be-all. They are Mm -hmm. not a, a... one pill fixes everybody situation. Right. When you go and you're you're being prescribed these things, they're like, try this, try this one, try that one, try this one. How does this one affect right. you? How does this one affect you? And and for me, that was my first clue is like, okay, I'm not kind of comfortable with this. Yep. Um, but it's the same thing with with THC or even with medical marijuana. It's like it may help some people, but it also may create more problems for somebody mm-hmm. else. Right. And and to your point, right, when we have somebody in, the, in these doctors talking in ideals, right? Because it sounds like those two people that were on that, that podcast were talking in ideals. One guy was absolutely don't do it. And the other guy's like, no, you have to do this. Like these are the only two options you are presented. Yeah, yeah. Um, and with anything, I think it's always a blending of, of the idealist positions. Um, the world doesn't work in absolutes. Uh, and the same way with medications, the same way with symptoms, they don't work in absolutes. It's never going to be exactly, um, what you're expecting it. Um, one of my professors talks about these things as being typical and no more. What you hear is typical, but it's not typical because it happens to everybody. It's typical because that's what usually happens. Right. But that doesn't mean it can't change how it affects somebody else. Yeah. And that point that you made is ex- extremely important. Um, and that's why it is so risky to to work in those absolute thought processes um, without having any other recourse of action to change path. If you're only in CBDs or only in medical marijuana and it's not working, you're just like, well, maybe I just need to smoke more or right. I need stronger SSRIs. Right. Um, and they're not doing any... The one thing I got really frustrated was the therapist I was seeing was not forcing me to do any introspection about where this was coming from and how I actually change my physiology or I'm able to work with my chemistry inside my own body through exercise, through changing my lifestyle, my health, my, my eating habits, a bunch of different things that may have been able to pull out what was extra that I was dealing with and only allow me to deal with what was actually inside my mind that I couldn't, you know, functionally change. And what's interesting between like your story and my story is you started getting anxiety at four. Mm-hmm. Like I was a grown adult. Right. And so I, you know, I did everything on my own. I'm not like a kid that my parents are taking to see anyone. And I made, I was seeing a therapist. I was seeing a psychologist and a, um, why is that word blinking? Psychiatrist. Yes. Yeah. You're welcome. That one. That Boom. one. And see, we're not all that smart <laughs> with all of them. And, you know, just my gen med doctor, I was like, I don't want to be on meds. Yeah. I'm not on meds for anything mm-hmm. else. Like, it's not how I want to do it. Like, this problem can be naturally fixed. Like, let's go about it elsewhere. Yep. And so, 
unlike you, like I wasn't put on meds and we actually all started with intrinsically what was going on and just like the education of what anxiety is and Mm -hmm. what it means for me as an individual. Cause my anxiety is not going to look anything like both of your anxieties. Right. Right. And I think that's something that's hard for people to understand who don't have anxiety where they can't see it. So they don't know what it looks like. Right. And especially because they can't see it from person to person, they just have this assumption and their the stigma of anxiety in their head already of like what it's going to look like. Right. It's okay. So, so, so that's really good. So uh, my own personal experience, right. Is like, I was a grown man, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, this is like two years ago. So I'm 38 or 39, whenever, however old I was at that time. No, I'm almost 41 now. That's (laughs) like really old Um, to two children sitting here. Um, And, uh, and he's old. (laughs) So, (laughs) so we're, we're going to entertain ourselves in the midst of all this very serious talk. Um, So when I started dealing with it, like, so, you know, right, I have this massive and you guys know people, I think pretty much everybody knows it listens at this point. But, you know, we go through like, I, I'm in the middle of a mass shooting, and I watch a friend be shot and killed. And so for about a week and a half or two weeks after that, almost every night that I went to bed, I was like, nervous going to sleep. Mm-hmm. And then throughout the night, like every single time I closed my eyes, like all I saw was what was out there in that barely lit field, right? Like just bodies everywhere and gunfire and like any loud noise was automatically associated with that. So like that, that was, that was extremely challenging to deal with like that whole story for another time. But I I say that part because when that started to trail off, like in when my, like my, my very sharp pain that was happening every single day for the loss of my friend and like all of that stuff when that was wearing off i thought that okay i'm gonna start getting back to quote unquote normal right Mm -hmm. like things are just gonna be okay and so i was learning to kind of just do life again a couple weeks maybe a month in and then i started having issues where um i had to go in and have a challenging conversation with somebody at work like a boss or something. Mm-hmm. And whereas before, like I'm confident to go in and talk to anybody about anything, right? Like we're just going to have a conversation and I was getting nervous or that's what I thought it was. Like, I, like my heart would yeah. race. And I was like, like, how am I going to deal with this? Like I was almost like afraid of like what could be a bad outcome and how I could handle it. And then I started fearing like, oh my gosh, if I'm afraid of this, like, am I going to be able to control myself? Right? Like my emotions, yep. am I going to get angry? Am I going to cry? Like what I just, I didn't know. And so then I started to see that transition happening, that it went from like the, the, the experience of being there and, and that event to like now what, like what was happening in life. And, but when I started feeling that my immediate response was, well, I've got to deal with this, right? I've got to fix myself, yeah. right? Like I've got to like get in my head. I've got to get over it. I've got to push through Put it. The I've world gotta, on your shoulders. Yeah. But, but, and that's my own, like just personality. Like that's mm-hmm. gotten me into trouble 9,000 times over the course of my life times 10. <laughs> and so, and so like that for me was the way to do it. I mean, all the way up to like, it really took all the way up until just this last week or two weeks ago for me to finally realize, like, I need to do something different. Mm-hmm. Like I, I actually need to, to uh, a little bit more help to sleep better at night because I'm, I'm noticing some episodes of not being able to sleep well and not because I'm having like bad dreams or anything. It's just, I'm not sleeping well. Mm-hmm. And this would be, I think the common link between all of us, because I think this is one thing that we all struggle with and maybe not as much up until recently, but it's this inability to sleep yep. this, this, and not necessarily because you're cognitively aware of what's going on in your head, but just the ability of my brain is doing something and it's a wide awake and there is no way for me to fall asleep right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and what, what's interesting is like, I can, 
I can um, I can rewind back many years. So like <clears throat> I remember times that I had to um, preach a sermon and it was just at really weird times. And I there, I there was like two or three times when I didn't sleep the whole night. Like I was so mm-hmm. nervous and I had never been I'd never had that before. And this was before my like big event. So I know I've had like sleepless nights and other things have led to like that struggle at different times. So I know it's not just that. But I know that it just it feels different. Like mm-hmm. there's just something different now than has ever been before. And it's like this it, it's this like coming together of a whole bunch of different things versus just like, again, like I don't want people to hear, you know, me say or somebody say that, like, I can't sleep at night, so I must have anxiety 100%. or I can't deal with going to my boss and having a tough conversation or every time I try to, like, talk to this person that I really like and want to go out on a date with, like, I start to freak out, like, right be careful, right? Like we need to start, we need to start by using our wisdom and mm-hmm. our, our, our mind. Well, I look at it the same way that I talk to athletes about injuries and it, I said, okay, how much of this li- how much of your injury, how much does that affect your everyday life? And they're like, oh, well, you know, 10%. Okay. So it's not, it's not something that's egregious. It's not, something, oh, it affects 50% of the time that you're alive. There's a problem. And that's the way that I describe anxiety to people. Well, you know how much, okay, you have acute bouts of anxiety. Well, how often are you dealing with this anxiety? Is it affecting your sleep? Is it affecting your ability to eat food? Is it affecting your ability to have relationships? If all those answers are yes, then more than likely than not, you're dealing with something more than just an acute bout of anxiety. Yeah. Um, and I think that's exactly what you're describing is that it went from something that's like, okay, you know, I get anxious sometimes. I can't sleep sometimes. But it's either because of the adrenaline of something upcoming or something uh, that you're acutely aware of is going to happen and you have to be prepared for it, whether it's positive or negative doesn't matter, but that your, your adrenaline's preparing your, yourself for that. Yeah. Where for the way that I would describe it to people, it's like, it could be three o'clock in the afternoon. I've been sitting out in the patio with my dog for no reason. All of a sudden I just feel like the whole world's coming crashing down on mm-hmm. me for no reason. Um, and then it'll go away. And then all of a sudden it'll be a Thursday afternoon. I'm in the gym, I'm working with a client and it's just like, whew, the whole world came crashing down again for no reason. And then I have to put on this face of like, okay, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm okay. And luckily, like we had talked about, like I'm, I'm in a much better place now where I understand how to handle this better. Yeah. Um, but before, I mean, um, so just a quick anecdotal story to kind of put this in perspective. So two years ago, um, I was working in Anaheim at a different gym. Um, and my great grandmother had just passed away. One of my good friends had told me that he found his roommate dead with a heroin needle in his arm. And then the following week, um, a girl that I had been dating in a long distance relationship broke up with me and ghosted me completely. The correlation of all three of these events snowballed into mm. what was completely debilitating because of what I was already dealing with. These three events didn't cause, d- didn't um, create what I was feeling already. But when loaded on top of what I was already dealing with, I broke. I spent uh, seven seven days where I slept no more than 30 minutes at a time. Um, I was eating minimally. I tried to go back to work. And when I was not coaching a class, I was in the office crying because I could not control my own emotions, my own feelings, whatever was going on in my head. Eventually I got taken to UCI, um, the ER, because again, they wanted to make sure that I wasn't taking something and I just wasn't being honest about it. Um, they wanted to admit me to a psych ward Uh, I was about three hours from being admitted to a psych ward. And I told them, look, I'm not doing this. Like, I know I'm not crazy. I can sit here and tell you I'm fine. Mm -hmm. My body is just not responding Mm -hmm. to what I'm putting out in the world. Um, And so that story and the way that it affects or debilitates your actual ability to go through your life is when you'll know like, okay, this is something bigger than, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what other people perceive it to be. Yeah. I guess the easiest way to explain that. Yeah. Like sleep when, 
I started dealing with anxiety. I went from, okay. you know, living in college, like I was fine. I would sleep two hours at a time, but that was like the lifestyle. Like I would sleep for two <laughs> hours, go to class, stay up all night. Like it was normal. Ooh, and then, yay. And then like <laughs> grad school hit, like sweet, like I'm not always like in school. Like I have a full-time job, like everything's normal. And then a year after, like my anxiety hits and I'm falling, I, I get in bed and I don't fall asleep for like four hours. Then I wake up and it's like, why am I awake? It's almost like a peaceful storm. Like, like for me, it's like there's this overlying peace, but it's like not peaceful. Mm-hmm. Like, cause there's nothing going on in my head. And so then I'll be up for an hour and then I fall back asleep for 20. And so then I look at the clock and it's time for me to get up and go to work. Yep. And it was just this constant process of kind of almost ignoring and not acknowledging the fact that I had something going on, just that I wasn't sleeping. Mm-hmm. And so I tried anything and everything from all the sleep pills like on the market to melatonin and natural stuff to teas and nothing worked. Like you could drug me with all a bottle of <laughs> melatonin and I was not going to fall asleep and stay asleep. Yep. And it just, it snowballs into other things. And then you find that your anxiety triggers and you, you're not sleeping yep. or it's like you don't have any triggers and then you go a week, two weeks with no sleep and then something happens. Yep. Like for instance, I mean, I've done it at the gym, just lifting perfectly normal, normal day, nothing. All of a sudden I'm crying and, like, and looking at a barbell. Like one, I don't cry. <laughs> Something's wrong. Two, what is going on? Because I'm fine, but now I'm crying. You're also lifting more weight than everybody else. So you have like, no reason like, to cry. What is going on? <laughs> like the most recent time that I had an episode, I'm literally driving home from work. It's sunny. Like sun is my happy place. And I had a pullover on the side of the road because I just broke down crying. Mm-hmm. Like hyperventilating, crying, couldn't catch my breath. What is going on? Had to sit there for 20 minutes and I was fine. Perfectly fine. So, I mean, sleep has been a huge thing for me because I think now knowing that that builds into my anxiety. Sleep has become like a huge part of my life. And I don't over, that sounds funny because sleep is a huge part of everyone's <laughs> life, but just that I have but to not really. focus on it. But yeah. Okay. So, but not really. Right. Like I think like the, like things like this, I think that we, we kind of take for granted mm-hmm. uh, and it's things like um, eating well. And, you know, we, we may talk about this a bit later too, is like, uh, you know, dealing with it, but like eating right, sleeping well, mm-hmm. like exercise, like there are things that, I mean, you can definitely tell like the people that on a regular basis are able to manage this because it's not like it's just going to go away, right. but like there are ways to manage this well. And it's things like that, that I think that we're like, yeah, of course, you know, I need to sleep. So I'm going to sleep four hours a night. Right. Like, and, and there's like glory in that. And yet, you probably need to pay some more attention. You Mm -hmm. may know in your head it's right, but it just does not seem to be working out the way that it should. Yeah, absolutely. I think that actually touches on the previous podcast. And that's like what I was going to say. It's like, hey, maybe this should have been our first podcast. And then layered on top of that other one that we did, um, just because this kind of gives the background story of why we were able to have that conversation we did. Um, But I mean, for me, I think that um, Except Jessica wasn't there. I know this is good. true. Okay, this guys. is true. It wasn't as good. You we probably had like then. it was true. We we weren't we weren't comfortable. We were a little bit anxious mm. uh, with a girl in the room. So <laughs> um, no, but <laughs> anxiety jokes while we talk about. I know. Anxiety. Well, he, levity levity makes it easier. <laughs> like, and and we kind of hit that too. Is like you, you have to be able to realize and yeah. this is the point I was going to make. Is that this is a part of my life now. Yeah. This this is a part that I have accepted. This is a part that and when I was able to sit there and say no, that is me. Because for the longest time, it was like, oh, I'm anxious. What's wrong with me? Why am I different? Why am I this? Why am I that? And then I just kind of looked at it. It was like, no, like, look at all the things I have done yeah. in spite of my anxiety. And 
how would that have changed if I wasn't that way? How would my perspective on the world be different? Uh, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't think as deeply about things as I do. I wouldn't be so connected to, to my, um, my path back to faith if it wasn't for my anxiety. I wouldn't be as forgiving of my parents if it wasn't for my anxiety. Um, I wouldn't be as forgiving of, of, of with my friends and some of the things that, you know, happens between, you know, uh, growing up in, in your teenage years and then becoming young adults and, and taking on those responsibilities and watching friends go different directions and then come back to like those things are harder to forgive when you're not understanding that, you know, people go through things. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it's made me a much more compassionate person, a much more empathetic person um, because I'm willing to accept that this is my flaw. Like this is and everybody has a flaw in their own way, but this is just mine. I've got lots. Well, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so I'm going to push on that a yeah. tiny bit uh, only because, okay. So I, I'm with you. I think that like on one hand, we need to accept the fact that like we need to give people permission to, to struggle through these things. Right. Like that doesn't make you less than, mm-hmm. I think that's one stigma that a lot of times people that are really dealing with it. Like, I think there's people that are jumping on the train because they want to be a part of the train. And that goes for just about anything else out there. That's why yep. some people cry foul just for fun. Um, <clears throat> but so, so I definitely want people to feel like you're okay. That doesn't make you weird. That doesn't make you messed up. There's nothing like that. But also I do think that, we could probably do a better job overall. And, and this definitely goes over my head, but like we could do a better job of helping walk people out of it. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Like, yes, you, you struggled with anxiety, you know, everybody, even the, just the three of us sitting at this table, like different levels. Right. Like, and, and yet like, you don't have to live like that. Right. And, and, and that doesn't have to be a part of your story forever. Like, thank God that it has done all the things that it's done for you, Cody, all throughout your life. But, I would tell people like fight, fight against it, right? Like don't, don't live like that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you want, want to, to, to step out of it. And then I would say like, as a Christian, I would say that if God so chooses that that is going to be something that you are going to walk with the rest of your life, because that will continue to shape who you are. Wonderful. Like right. obviously not wonderful for you, but like that that's just part of who you're going to be. Yeah. But at the same time, God may so see fit that like, that, that he's going to rid you of that at some point. And totally. that, and that's yeah. not, you know, because like he likes you more than somebody else. It just so happens that that's just a new season for you. Right. right. And so there's some of that too, because I think what we don't, we don't find a balance in, in anything like this. Like we need to push people. Like you can do things differently. You can fight against this. Maybe you can be rid of this forever. Right. Right. And I, I guess I should clarify. I mean, in the sense that these experiences have shaped who I have become. Yeah. 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 Not, yeah. not that like, anxiety is who I am. It's now a piece of who I am. And it, it has shaped who I have become because of the experiences I was allowed to have and overcome. But you're 100% right. There is a responsibility in the person the same way that there's a responsibility in an addict, the same way there's a responsibility in the family around those people mm-hmm. to hold accountability to try to help and um, that's the word I would like to use help and facilitate you know, uh, learning, growing, recovery, those kinds of things. And I, so I think you're 100% spot on. I don't think it's something you should just wallow in and accept at its, at its basic level. But you also shouldn't be so afraid to sit there and say, well, because of this, what what is my silver lining? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've dealt with this. What is my silver lining? How did this make me better? How can I now take this tool, this, this thing that I went through and I struggle with, and help other people with that tool? Because without this, I wouldn't be able to connect to other people who had anxiety, you know? Well, mine was definitely like a wake-up call. When I started getting anxiety because I was working 130 plus hour weeks, I was traveling, I was drinking more than a pot of coffee a day. Like I wasn't happy with myself. I had serious body image issues. 
I was in a really bad relationship where I thought that that was like the answer to life and it was a shitty relationship. (laughs) Take that Um, relationship. And I think growing with my anxiety and acknowledging what it did for me and what it did like to me Mm -hmm. has helped me in the long run. Yeah. On all those different aspects of like anxiety sucks. Right. But it helped me learn that like these different things is not the way to live. Right. And that it's like pushed me to the other side of that. Well, even look at the way that it shaped you already. Right. You've only been dealing with it for how long? How would you how long would you qualify that? 18 months. Okay, so 18 months of your life and you thought it was important enough to gather us together in this room and have this conversation. Oh, yeah. Well, and and like I knew in the head it was before. Like, I mean, so I mean, I've had two experiences in my life with two different people. Uh, that were dealing with massive bouts of anxiety and depression to the point where I had to stay on the phone with people because one had a knife to his throat and another one was just claiming to kill himself. And I absolutely thought it was it was possibly going to happen. And I didn't want to hang up the phone. Right. So, like, I know the reality. I think that, like, I'm I'm thankful that I'm now stepping through this. And here's why more so than ever is because. I just all of a sudden, not for myself, but for other people, got so much more passionate about it because mm-hmm. we all know what the end is. Mm-hmm. Every single time this this gets out of control, this ends in somebody taking their own life. Yep. Like there's just there's no other way around it, right? There's no in between here. Well, I, yeah. And and we all know people, whether it's like personally or publicly, that this has been the end. Mm-hmm. And like I haven't had that yet for myself. I pray to God that I never get to that place. I don't think I will, but I never know. But here's what scares me. So I I would say that, and this is gonna sound really <laughs> overconfident, but like I have a lot of friends. I'm connected to a lot of people. And when I shared what I shared two weeks ago, woo, like Cody's like cheering for me. Um, when I shared what I shared two weeks ago, very few people reached out to me to ask me how I was doing. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, like in that moment, that's all that I wanted. Right. I wasn't like, like I, I remember I went on Instagram and I shared and I was really, I was really looking for honest feedback. I wasn't like crying for that in that moment, mm-hmm. but it really would have meant a lot right. to have some of my close friends. Um, even people from a distance just check in on me because who knew if like I had been dealing with that for, for the last 18 months and it gotten so bad that like I was sitting with a gun in my mouth in a corner somewhere and just ready to pull a trigger. Well, and I have a question for Jess. I don't know if you have any, any stories like that because I don't mind sharing mine. Um, so I, I, I think it's interesting to hear this perspective because it's exactly what I went through. Um, and you obviously can share if you wish to, if mm-hmm. you've had an experience like that, but I, I, I'll kind of share mine because it, it highlights that exact issue. So when I was, um, the summer of my freshman year, um, I can specifically remember being at my dad, well, it was my grandparents' house. Um, after the divorce, my dad had, you know, started to live with them and I was over with my dad on the weekend. I had been dealing with things. My parents had no idea what was going on with me. And they'll tell you to this day how apologetic they are that they missed all the signs. But at the same time, I like I can understand because I wasn't outwardly expressing that this is what was going on with mm-hmm. me. I was trying to figure out in my own head. But at the same time, I was desperate for anybody to go, hey, why have you changed? Your your grades have dropped. You don't hang out with people like you used to. Um, I was fairly insecure about everything I did. And it was just kind of like people attributed it to 
you know, going through a different change in my life and going into high school. But I can specifically remember um, being up one night and I can remember being in the kitchen. I remember pulling open the drawer and I remember staring at the knife for what was probably two hours. And I remember picking the knife up and placing it to my neck. And I remember my phone ringing 15 minutes later and it hung up. And I remember going, that's really strange. Um, kind of went back into my own head and dealing with what it kind of snapped me out of it momentarily. Um, and I picked the knife back up and I was, you know, just doing the sensory things. And you'll hear this a lot of stories is you're placing it against you and you're just feeling that the knife exists and that you exist in the moment. You're kind of placing it on your skin and realizing this is like a reality. Um, because a lot of what you feel when you're going through this is numbness. And so to feel something and feel tangible and a lot of times that that attempt or that uh, that reason that you've started to do things is because you want you're wanting so bad to feel something mm-hmm. that you you're going for anything at this point. And so I was going through that and I remember placing it up to my neck again. And my phone rang and I'm not going to name the person because they to this day they don't know what they did. And I couldn't put that weight on somebody. Wow. Um, but my phone rang and it was like 430 in the morning and uh, it was one of my friend's moms and she called me and she said, I just had this feeling that I had to call you. She hadn't, she hadn't maybe called me twice in my entire life, called me twice. Um, and I remember picking up the phone and going, oh yeah, everything's fine. Like nothing. And I didn't, because nobody at this point knew what I was dealing with. They, I had been in and out of the hospital. They didn't know it was anxiety. I had where I had worn one of the, um, it's like a portable EKG machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and they couldn't figure it out. They just thought they were attributing it to a hundred different things. Um, and my parents didn't know. And when I finally went to a psychiatrist and started talking about medication, it was because I finally had, I, I got so bad that I knew I was going to get to that place again mm-hmm. if I didn't tell my parents what was going on in my head. And I remember sitting in front of my house in my mom's car. And I said, I need to tell you guys something. And it was just my mom at this time. I, so I was, I need to tell her something. And I told her, hey, like two, three weeks ago, this happened to me because of so-and-so's mom. I, I think I'm still here, um, but I think I need to go talk to somebody. I need to go see somebody. And the, the reason I want to tell this story is because it's exactly that. I needed somebody to reach out to me and it had gotten so far and it had gotten so dark that if, if it wasn't for that phone call, I don't know where I would be. And that kind of perspective allowed me to retrospectively look at that and go, I was that close to not not being around. So now it helps me cherish things that I never thought I would. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like you were saying that, that one hand up, that one just noticing somebody who's having a bad day and just asking, even if they don't want to hear it at the time, but to, to make, let them know that somebody realizes you do exist um, because it does, it does get that dark. And, and, you know, I can only imagine for you, Ryan, going through what you did with, with both of those events, um, how you would have felt, not even that you were dealing, the person dealing with it, but knowing that you chose not to pick up the phone or you chose to hung up, hang up the phone on that conversation, what that would have done for your psyche uh, following that event. Um, and I think that those stories are important to share. One, because it's cathartic for me to talk mm-hmm. about it and to let people know that I am okay now and that, you know, the, the stuff that I deal with doesn't get that severe because I'm able to recognize it before it gets there. Mm-hmm. Um, but also to let people know that these stories are okay to tell. These stories are, are important to, to own and understand that what, what happened there isn't necessarily what has to happen every time. Yeah. Um, because you only get one shot at this whole thing. 
like yep. the, the to be alive and to have the right to live and the, the ability to go through life is such a miraculous it is it's a it's a miraculous miracle that everything played out the way it did to have you exist in this world and i you know i'm very thankful for that situation playing out the way that it did um and so that's why i feel it's important to tell these stories because it may give somebody else the strength to do the same thing and that was my point in saying that you know in 18 months you've decided this has become important enough to you to start opening these doors and you don't know whose life this may touch for them to do the same thing. Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, I, I wanted, I, I don't know your backstory with anything like this. Yeah. Um, so I don't have a story like that. And I think part of that is because developing anxiety as an adult mm-hmm. and kind of already having a mindset of what anxiety is. Cause I see it all the time. I have friends that have it. I see it in my athletes. Um, I think I even told you this when you post on Instagram, like one of the things that helps me is my community of people. Uh Um, It was like a year and a half ago. I just got to a low, low point where I just felt like I wasn't doing anything right. Like I was, Oh no, I'm going to cry. Man, (laughs) she's going to be the first one to do it guys. Um, (laughs) It's okay. I almost cried when Cody was telling his story. It's okay. Um, But I just felt like I was in this place in my life where it's like, I'm behind everyone else my age. Like I like all my friends are off getting married, like everyone's having kids, like I've got a great job, a great career, but I feel like because of social norms, like what does that mm-hmm. matter? Sure. And I just got to this point where I was like, what am I even doing? Like, I don't have anyone like everyone has someone. And like, I, of course, had those thoughts, like, what would the world be like without me? Like, everyone be mm-hmm. OK without me. Like, everyone else is just going to live their happy lives. Everyone will get on. It's fine. But I think from the get-go acknowledging that I have this that I'm living with. I don't want to call it a problem because it's, it's not a problem because I, I I have it. it It's part of me. And, but I have such a core group of people that know that I have it and know that I suffer from anxiety. And so occasionally like they'll just check up on me. Like if I go missing for four days or if I'm just not myself. And I think that's, what's kind of helped me along. But I've definitely have those thoughts where I felt like nothing's going to get me out of this hole. And this, right? like, I I don't think I would ever, well, I, I would like to say, I don't think I would ever physically do anything mm-hmm. or even want to feel that knife against me. And I don't think I'll get to that point, but, you know, who knows? Um, but I've definitely have those moments where yeah. I let it get the best of me. Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> That's heavy stuff, buddy. It, it, I mean, yes. Um, I, I think that like one thing that I hear here that is, and it's why I brought up this part of us, of us talking is like, I'm glad that you have a community of people and I'm glad that you had a friend's mom mm-hmm. that reached out to you, but that's just not enough. Right. No, you're 100 percent right. And and and, and not I'm, I'm I'm not even talking about you two or me right here. I'm I'm talking about mm-hmm. us on the other end. Right. Like we live in a world that makes every excuse as to why we cannot invest into people. Right. Like I'm busy. I work. I've got my own relationship. I've got my own family. And 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 that's true. Right. Like I mean, mm-hmm. we we really do. We have responsibilities. It does not take much to be regularly 
actively involved to some small degree with the 200 people that you're closest to, right? right? We, we, that's kind of like the magic number of that's probably the number of people that you have a, a decently close mm-hmm. relationship to. Mm-hmm. I just think of like, I mean, we all are in the same gym, right? right. Like there's no reason why even just a, a weekly text message to each one of those people or, or whatever, right? Like there's just these simple practical things that we could be doing on a more regular basis to make sure that things like this don't happen. And it's not my responsibility to, to protect somebody else from taking their life. Right. But at the same time, I can have an influence in that. Mm -hmm. And I want people like, here's what's crazy too. And I, I like, I'm so sorry ahead of time for saying this and God, you are just going to have to forgive me for saying this because when I say it, I know that I'm going to create some sort of trouble out of this. I shared this story from the pulpit last Sunday from the pulpit. Like I was preaching and it was just a piece of this sermon that I preached. I think one person said anything to me afterwards. And I'm just like, what mm-hmm. the hell is going on here? And so it's like, we have to, have to, have to take responsibility to care for and love mm-hmm. and support and encourage mm-hmm. other people. Totally. And, and again, it's like, it's almost like we take for granted, like, Cody, you're a coach at our gym. You you know all kinds of people. You're right. friends with all kinds of people. You got friends outside. I see you post on Instagram. Right. You're doing things like you're, you're taking care of. I don't, I don't need to do that for you, Jessica. You're involved in all kinds of people's lives. And I see you all the time doing all kinds of cool things and on vacations. And like there, there's definitely people you're in a church. Like there's definitely people that are caring for you. I don't don't need to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I think we all think that way individually at at times. And it's hard because like you stated, like nobody else is responsible for my care. Like even I would tell my parents the same thing. They're not responsible for the weight that I carry through my life. That is my own personal responsibility. But that doesn't mean, again, that you can't be influential in how I deal with or how you affect somebody's ability to handle whatever they're dealing with. Um, And and I think it's exactly that, that there's a lot of people going, oh, well, they're, they're super popular. Like they've got money. They've got this. They've got that. You know, why do they why do they need my help? And sometimes what people miss is they look at all the products or the the tangible things that people have. But the one thing they're now neglecting that other person of is any kind of humanity. Like I, the, the part that I was searching for when I was going through what I was, and the part that uh, I think most people miss is that just human connection of somebody going, you exist. And I acknowledge the fact that you exist and I care about the fact that you exist. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's 100% true in, in mental health. It's 100% true in personal relationships because I think there are a lot of one, one-sided friendships. I think there are a lot of one-sided uh, romantic relationships. I think there are a lot of one-sided parenting relationships. Um, and a lot of that comes down to the fact that people just assume that the human connection can be replaced by product. It can be replaced by, by social media. It can be replaced by all these other things. But biologically, we are a social creature. And we need that type of interaction fundamentally in order to feel connected to the people around us. Absolutely. Because when you feel disconnected, you're allowed to, you're allowed to yourself to feel alienated from everybody mm-hmm. else and like you are different. What are some of the most unhelpful things <laughs> people have given you advice on? Oh, you'll be fine. 
It'll pass. It's just anxiety. It's fine. It's like it's a gas of some sort. They're just like, ah, it'll go away. Um, or do you do you really think you have anxiety? Right, that's my favorite. I was like, I don't know. I'm in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. Do you know what anxiety is? Because I feel like you don't know what it is. No, yeah, I think I think the way I would classify that is indifference. It's just an indifference, like whatever you're dealing with isn't important enough for me to kind of actually step into what's going on. And that can be intentional and unintentional. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my parents did quite a bit of that unintentionally because they had so much going on. I mean, I have a sister with special needs and they were going through a divorce and like, and, and I don't blame them for that stuff because they had their own burdens to carry. Um, I don't blame them for anything that I went through because it's not their fault. They, they didn't put me there. It was something that just happened to me and I had to figure out how to deal with it. And luckily I did in the long run. Um, but I think the most unhelpful things for me are typically the things we talked about at the very beginning. It's the blanket statements. It's the, the, the fad. It's cool to have an issue because then you become part of the people who can complain about something because I don't have anxiety. So I can complain about things because I'm anxious. Like I try not to use that as an excuse for things, though. I probably viably could for a lot of the things. I mean, I, I went from somebody who couldn't publicly speak to coaching group classes in a gym and opening up my social network with human relationships because that was more important than me than sitting on my couch and saying, well, I'm so anxious. I can't go speak in front of people. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be here having this podcast. If I did that, um, I wouldn't have affected as many people's lives as I have if I would have done that. Um, and so, you know, I think that to me is the, mo- the my biggest frustration, both in both ways, both from the person who's suffering from it and both from the people who, who want to have things easier because they can say that they have this um, and whether they get some kind of benefit or whether they get an excuse to, for testing or whatever else they, they use it as a, as a ends to a mean. And that's not to say that people don't actually need those things, but it hurts the people who really need those things Mm -hmm. when people who uh, just clamored onto that in order to make their lives a little bit easier uh, in some way. And, And there's no way of knowing who those people are, but I definitely know in my interactions with some people, I can pinpoint it when, People are like, oh, I have anxiety or they just get anxious sometimes. Yeah. And I think what's hard too is once you finally like open up and acknowledge that you have anxiety to other people, people don't always know how to act or how to react. And then it's just like the cycle of they don't know what to do. So they're just going to pull back because, oh, you have anxiety. And then you're into this alienation hole and Mm -hmm. it's just, it's a cycle of it. And I, I think that's where I've struggled is. Cause I'll be open. Like I just, I don't go around telling people, Oh, I have anxiety. Right. But like, you didn't get that tattoo. <laughs> I am Jessica. I have anxiety. Oh, nice my forehead. Hi. Nice to meet you. Um, <laughs> but Anxious. when it finally comes out, Oh, I have anxiety. There was this people who will be like, I think this is something that I've actually struggled with and I don't know what to do. Yeah. But then there is this people who's like, Oh, and then they just leave. Sure. And then you can see the shift in your relationship because now you're that person that has anxiety. And I don't know if it's because they don't know if they're going to say something that triggers it or not triggers it, or they're just not comfortable with it. It's like, I'm not going to go psycho on you. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's something, Maybe. you know, you <laughs> but that's know. not the anxiety. No, that's something else. That's not a daily thing though. Um, but it's something internally that I'm dealing with. And so it's, it's, kind of funny to watch people's reactions sure because they don't know how to react react and that's the best way for me to describe is that it's like it's funny it's like my favorite too is always like how do you have anxiety because i mean like i said i mean i'm up coaching classes i have no issue talking to people now 
Um, if you talk to, to my girlfriend, she's like, well, you go everywhere and somebody, you know, somebody wherever we're at, doesn't matter if we're in the state of California, we're in an airport going somewhere. Like you've seen to know somebody everywhere. Oh no, you're the cool guy that knows everybody. I know, I know. You're so I had to do my own horn, you know, <laughs> oh, no. couldn't let you do only one horn. And she lifts all kinds of weight. I mean, oh, great. Yeah, it's cool. It's whatever, you know, it's, everybody's got a horn to toot. Um, but it's, it's true because people will be, will be like, you have your life together. Right. Like, yeah. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah. But I think that makes it it makes it easier to level with people. It's like, no, I'm I'm a, just as flawed as anybody else is. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I dealt with my own things just because I don't wear it on my sleeve. Um, well, I have client I have clients that that follow me on social media, and like every time or, I go or, to or, 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 sorry, and, no, I didn't say I have a lot of clients. <laughs> oh, fair, just fair two, enough. just yeah, two. I got to get a horn. Two of my clients <laughs> follow me on social media. My only two. Um, thank no, you for listening, guys. Yeah, thank it's, you. It's so me much. and Cody. You're paying me. I didn't even notice yet. <laughs> okay oh man so my two clients that follow me on social media um i'm like i was i was nervous to share it mm-hmm. because guess what i'm getting paid to coach other people's head right and heart and i mean like for that moment right i'm like oh my gosh i have to have it all together in order to coach them and so i can't share this and then i thought like wait a minute i don't and and, and that's part of like how I will best help them mm-hmm. is the fact that like we don't have to relate because I have something and you have something. It's just I am just a broken human being right. trying to do the best I can to become the very best version of myself. And if I can help you along the way and do that, whether you're paying me or not, I just can't be afraid of that. Right. right? Totally. Um, and I think, too, like, Justice, something you said about like the the stigma. And I know, Cody, you said this, too, like. I, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. It's just like, you know, when somebody uh, loses somebody close to them, mm-hmm. sometimes it's it's hard to go up and talk to them because it's like, I'm sorry for your loss. And then it's awkward, mm-hmm. right? It's like so hard, yeah. right? And so <clears throat> I, I, I want to understand. I want to I give them that benefit to be like, okay, I understand. Like, whether somebody struggles with anxiety or the loss of a loved one or some addiction or had something devastating, like whatever, like it's okay to like feel awkward. Mm -hmm. You can still be a friend to that person and you can still talk to them and ask them. Like, I actually think that it would be helpful to be like, so like, how does that go for you? Or like, how can I be a friend to you? Mm-hmm. Or is is there anything that I shouldn't say or do? Like, I think that's okay, mm-hmm. right? Totally. And and I think that sometimes, again, like we we give off this, um, I don't know, kind of like aura as to like, here are the untouchable things <laughs> if you can't say them the right way. You right. know, don't, if you're going to offend me, don't bring it up. This is another thing that is super big for me. Um, and I'm debating whether or not to use the example that I want to use because I don't want to get myself in trouble. But I'll use myself as an example. And I, think, I almost just I got think kicked out of my church. I the, think, I think the, the person who I'm talking about will know that I'm talking about it. But Is it uh, me? no, it's not you. Oh. It's Ryan. No, I'm just kidding. It's not Ryan either. Um, it's one of his two listeners. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, you know, you're I, giving me the, anxiety the, thinking about all the, the biggest. The biggest thing for me is on this side of it and, and looking at it as somebody who deals with this on a fairly regular basis is watching people try to walk that awkward, compassionate walk and say, what can I do to help? And then make a mistake. And the person who's dealing with it lash out in a way that then turns off the help they once had. Yeah, I see it all the time, not just in personal relationships, but I see it in friendships. I see it in, in 
that in the workplace. I see it in the gym. People who are dealing with these things have to realize that people have to figure out how to get to a place where they can be most helpful. And sometimes they're going to say things that flare up what you're dealing with. Sometimes they're going to say things that turn you off. Sometimes they're going to make mistakes in trying to help you. Mm -hmm. And you can't, can't, can't close those doors because of a mistake. You have to genuinely look at the person and go, what was their intent? Was their intent to help me? Okay. Yeah. It made me uncomfortable. Yeah. It kind of hurt my feelings. Yeah. Maybe um, it triggered me momentarily. But when I get back to that state of I'm okay again, I need to reach out to that person because they took the step in my direction. Yeah. And if nobody else is doing that, eventually that person is going to be invaluable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the more that we turn them off is a disservice not only to us, but to them because they can also help people once they've learned how to do it, reach out to more people, right? They can walk that line with somebody else and say, hey, look, these are the things you need to be careful of when you're dealing with somebody who's going through this. Um, but beyond that, in somebody who's receiving the information, I always tell people, be yourself. Yeah. Be the friend they expect you to be because they are more likely to be responsive when you make a mistake as their friend yeah. than if you're trying to put on a face like you know what you're dealing with. Um, and I think that 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 would solve a lot of the issues on both sides if more people were able to do that. So Stephen Covey in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, one of, one of his seven habits is seek first to understand mm-hmm. and then be understood. And I think that's well played everywhere, totally. but especially in mm-hmm. something like this on both sides, right? It's like, just understand me, just get to know me, right? Mm-hmm. Just ask questions about me. Re- let, let, you know, be willing to ask how I got into this and what's going on in my life. Forget it. Like if you're listening to this and now you're like, Oh my gosh, I got to reach out to Ryan. Like, I don't need somebody to reach out to me and be like, so how's the anxiety going today? Just how are you? How's your life? How are your relationships? How's your business? Right? Like it's, it's that. And then on the other side, again, to what you said, it's like when, when, when somebody says something awkward, like we need to be willing, if we're on the receiving end of that, like we need to be willing to understand first that they're coming from a place of ignorance Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and they may not even be choosing that. It's like, this is a hard thing to deal with especially if you've never dealt with it before, right? right? Like it's just, you got to be willing to do that. Here's a, here's a question. Cause I, I think it's super interesting too. How, when you first described what you were dealing with to somebody, were you able to put into words what anxiety was? So like for me, I always told my parents, like, I don't know how to explain it. I, mm-hmm. I literally don't think there's any tangible way that you can relate to what is going on in my body right now. Because unless you've been there, you haven't been there. Right. So I'm interested to know, like when you guys first exported that information to whoever you told, how did that conversation go? Because I know for me, it was the one of the most com- difficult conversations because I typically don't. And you guys know this. I don't have an issue communicating like talking is not something I am bad at. It's probably on the other end. Oh, God. But that was the <laughs> hardest conversation. Complex. <laughs> oh, no. I have a lot of complexes. Um, even now describing anxiety, like. I can try to describe for you what I go through mm-hmm. during an attack, but like, I don't know what's going on. Like, <laughs> it's almost like I get uncontrollably warm inside and like my heart will start racing. And then like, I I just feel like I am on the outside looking in as yeah, to what's going yeah. on and like everything's moving around me, but I can't do anything to control what's going on. 
that's how I can best describe what I go through. And then I get just uncomfortable like mm-hmm. right now, but I'm not going through anxiety. <laughs> I'm just describing it. That, uh, that, that, I mean, that for me, that, that one part of like on the outside looking in, that's a fantastic mm-hmm. definition or illustration because that for me uh, is one of the things that happens. Like there's definitely a lot of internal feelings I'm having, but there is this sense of like, um, I'm watching myself crumbling under all of these things that are happening and all these like mm-hmm. and stupid circumstances yep. a lot of the time. And I know how to fix them. I know what to do. I know that like, it's not here. a big deal or just get over it or, okay, just like move that to this side, like whatever. Like I know how simple those are. Mm-hmm. And that's what actually drives me more nuts is people are like, oh, well, you just need to do this. I'm like, I know that. <laughs> like, you don't need to tell me that. Right. Like, and, and, and yet here I am. I, I can't even, I can't touch myself. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I, I'm yep. off limits in that moment. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's almost like out of body. You are completely yeah. floating and watching. It's like the Truman show. You're just watching what seems like real life, but you're not able to actually interact in what is happening. Yeah. I don't know. For me, it's like, it's hard to control. It's going to sound really funny. Like I can control what I'm doing, but it's hard for me to control what I'm doing. Yeah, I get Mm -hmm. it. Like I'm there, but I'm not there, but I'm also feeling and I'm not feeling. And then (laughs) what's even more hard is, and this has been, well, this was a trouble for me in my previous long-term relationship where if I'm having an anxiety attack with someone or we try and like break it down, I just feel like I word vomit and I just have to verbally process everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like what I'm saying doesn't make sense. And so that's just continuing the issue. So it's been, it's been hard to have anxiety with people because I feel like I'm saying one thing, but it sounds like something else and you just can't understand what's going on. I have another question too, kind of oh, expanding no. on that was, have you noticed that that has changed the way you look at whether it be romantic relationships or whether it look at even friendships Both. as, yeah, that's, I would agree the same way. Yeah. So mine's, mine's been interesting. So obviously again, like, you know, my wife had the same traumatic event that I did. We've processed that differently. Um, what's been really hard for me is, is I don't want to burden her. And my post-traumatic issues have the possibility mm-hmm. of triggering her. Yep. And she still goes with her own things and has nightmares and grieves the loss of her close friend. And so like, so, so she's amazing. Like, I mean, she literally like that day and, 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 and all the time she does this, but more so that day, it was just like all day long, like just encouraging me and supporting me and helping me to like, you know, God's got you in the midst of this and you know, you just need to really lean in on him and you need to be praying. Like she's reminding me of all the things that I need to do in a very, in a way that I know she's out for my best, not mm-hmm. just trying to blanket state with me yep. with, with a bunch of BS. And yet I've been afraid and it's, and it's, it's not just been in this issue. There's a lot of things that like, I'm afraid to put my burden on her. And yet that makes me feel terrible because mm-hmm. That's what that she is there for. Correct. And so, yeah, it definitely, it, it changes that dynamic because it, it becomes, you're tiptoeing at times mm-hmm. and it's not because of her, like because she can handle you, it. Yeah. yeah. It's just my own fear. Mm-hmm. You? Uh, so yeah, I, I would say that it it's changed both of my type of relationships, not only because when I was dealing with it, I, I became introverted versus an extrovert, um, but even in dating and where you know, I, I had already always had the mindset of like dating is for marriage. My whole goal was to find somebody to spend the rest of my life with. But I found that 
um, up until this recent relationship that which is an amazing one it is it's I, I think you know, she's I'm nice very, <laughs> I do too <laughs> uh, <laughs> throw me off track um, no and, and this one eyes. this one is it's it's different in that way because what used to hold me back was the the I didn't want to let anybody into these kinds of things and I was dealing with them much more severely than I am now um, but to me, it was that same approach. It's like that they don't need this weight on their shoulders. Like in, in trying to build a new relationship with somebody, the last thing they want to hear is that you're a complete mess. Yeah. Right. And that like, Hey, I might just wake up in the hospital one day. Good luck. Like, what, <laughs> yeah. what, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Like that, yeah. that doesn't work for people. And so I was always extremely cautious about who I opened up to. And, and the flip side of that is when I did open up to people, I immediately attached myself to people. Mm. because I was like, okay, I'm trusting you with this information. And, you know, if we're going to be in this relationship, I need to know that you're not going to break that trust. Mm-hmm. And then when it would break, my whole life would just crash. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I found that I was like hyperpolar on things. It was either like I was completely disinterested or I was too interested too yep. fast. Um, and I attached myself to something that, that wasn't really what I thought it was at the time. Um, and, you know, that caused some, some serious problems. And so this, this is why, and we're all in a, I mean, we're even just the three of us are in a little bit different of a place here. Um, but so this is why, while I would not give this as a prescription to everybody, I'm giving this as a prescription <laughs> to everybody. That's why, like, at the end of the day, like, you do need to have all of you and everything solely focused in and attached to something. Right. And... The problem is, is that we use medication, we use friends, we use significant others, yep. right? Romantic relationships. We use substance. We use money. Um, money. We use jobs. We use exercise. We use all of these things. The problem is, is every single one of those things, they will fail, mm-hmm. right? They, they are set up to fail because they are broken too, right? right? They've just got their own BS to deal with. Yep. The only constant is ultimately for me, and I'm going to say for everybody, is to have faith in God because there, there's just no other constant apart from that. The problem a lot of times is, is that feels so, well, so foreign to people that, that, that aren't there, and that's a whole other conversation, but even for people that are there, it feels so distant, right? It's like, God has abandoned me in this moment. Like, why have you forsaken me? Why have you given this to me? Why are you letting me go through this? And yet, when we reflect back on our own experiences, just like you did, like, that was not a random phone call, right? That, that was like a God-ordained, like, that was my start of my return to my faith because in my head I went, there is no other reason that phone should have called and that she had nothing to say. Right. She just said, I felt like I needed to call you. Yep. And that was, it was a simple two and a half minute conversation. And then I hung up the phone and I put everything away and I went back to bed. Well, yeah. And I mean, for me, like, so, so the reminder is, and again, like I, I know in my head and yet it's easy to forget how, I don't want to say simple this is, but straightforward. And it's this idea that at the end of the day, God is out for the best for me. What I think is best 
is not what God thinks is best. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Once in a while, we happen to get on the same page, but it's just because like I, I'm on his, I'm on a, like a corner of his <laughs> page, right? And, and yet, like that, I I know for a fact that whether I struggle with this for the rest of my life and it gets worse, God forbid, if somebody gets to the point of taking their life, God still does not abandon those people. God does not abandon us. And so that's where my hope ends up at the end of the day in is mm-hmm. like, there's got to be something outside of all of this stuff, because as much as I try and put together like the best concoction of whatever, I'm, I'm just, I'm due for failure. Right. right? Well, I mean, you're inherently flawed. You are imperfect at the start. So how could you expect to be perfect? That the whole concept always cracks me up with people who, who, uh, and not, not that it cracks me up in a negative way, but it doesn't even have to be about faith, but people who are like, well, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to solve all the world's problems. I was like, you, you inherently can't because one, they're always changing. Problem. Yeah. And, and two, you yourself have flaws. So did until- you just accuse him of just, he's a problem. Oh no. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, he's perfect. I am. It's, you know, it's, uh, ideas of grandeur. Great. Um, Here come the Jesus complex. <laughs> No, but but it is, it, it, and like I, I would completely agree. And the the biggest thing that's been been strengthened with my faith is the ability to go. There's no way I should expect to understand everything around me. So why would it be so hard to conceive of something greater than myself? Right. Because things don't happen. I, I'm firm believer of God speaks to you in ways uh, that you may not understand, but it's still your job to pick up the phone when He calls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to pick up the phone call. I could have just let it ring. But for some reason, I was compelled in the middle of my own head, wherever I was, I needed to pick up the phone. My sister with special needs, I we had a dog who anytime she would get up and walk, he'd lay across the stairwell. We never trained him to do this. He oh. just knew that's what he did. Um, there's been too many times where simple things, I'm driving and I look both ways and I turn and all of a sudden, wham, there's a person that I missed by three and a half inches somehow that I never saw when I looked. Like those kind of things. And I'm just like that. That's not a coincidence. Yeah. Like the, those people get hit all the time. Why did like, whoa. And I, I'll sit there and like for five minutes, just go, my mind is blown because one, I don't have no idea where this person came from mm-hmm. Two, Thank God I didn't hit that person. Yeah. You know? Um, and no, I wasn't texting or anything else. It's just simple, Maybe. straight word forward. Yeah. Well, you'll never know. That was a guilty conscience. <laughs> it's funny because so my mom is like an amazing woman of faith. But I always grew up with her saying, like, the ones who have God are the ones who need him most. Yeah. And just to tie it into, like, anxiety, you know, we're supposed to cast all our anxieties on him. And whenever I see that or read that, I I giggle Mm -hmm. to myself because, like, okay, like, I'm anxious. I'm not going to give it all to you because Mm -hmm. you kind of gave it to me. But you didn't give it to me. But you're in it with me. Um, But faith has definitely been a huge point in my anxiety and just dealing with it. And it's because you... I don't even know what I want to say. Like you've read my faith statement. Yeah. Like I'm not going to talk about it because I'm going to cry. I cry. I'll cry for that one. But it's like God has you and God has your back. And it's just like this concept where it's hard to explain. It's like anxiety. Like it's hard to explain to others what you're feeling and like your relationship with Christ because it's a daily walk and it's something that I do. And my relationship looks nothing like your relationship. But at the end of the day, like, he's got me. And if I have anxiety, like I'm going to get through A, B, C, and D because he's there with me. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to explain that to someone who one doesn't know and doesn't understand anxiety and two, someone who doesn't have faith Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's, 
definitely it's not what you know it's just what you feel and like this concept mm-hmm. that you can't explain yeah and i feel like i just talked in a word vomit <laughs> well i, I think i think what's ex- <laughs> so nervous um I, I think it's important too for because it sounds like now we're only addressing christians and, and that's not the case at all and and how i would tell anybody who isn't of faith or who isn't ready for faith is the way i like to describe people they're just not willing to accept it or ready to to see it or um because either way, one of us is wrong, right? And, and that's the way it has to play out. But mm-hmm. nobody's ever going to know until you have to know. Um, but what I always tell people is ha- have the ability to have faith in something, mm-hmm. whether it's a faith in your friend, whether it's a faith in your family, whether it's faith that that you'll get the best out of somebody. Be able to continually put faith in things because that'll start opening the doors where you're seeing things that you wouldn't have seen before. Okay, so, so here we go. Uh, another one I'm going to challenge you. And people are like, gosh, you're so long into this. And now you're just like, Challenge, to start bantering. So, so, so here's the challenge there. So I, I'm not saying that people cannot live a good, hopeful, cheerful, joyful, joy filled life, uh, apart from having faith in God. I'm not saying that you cannot deal with anxiety and depression apart from that either. What I am saying is, is that we must be extremely careful about what we put our faith into apart from God. And Mm -hmm. here's why it's because it goes back to, yes, you, if I want to, if I want to put my faith in other things, um, they will break. Yes. Yes. Uh, Okay. I, I have been married for Eight, almost 18 years. Tomorrow will be 18 years. Aww. So Yeah, old. so amazing, right? You don't want to get married on St. Patrick's Day? No. So close. Um, Green wasn't ni- a color. 19 and a half years together. Um, Good job, Michelle. Yeah, seriously, she's dealt with a she's lot. She's nice, too. Seriously, she's amazing and <laughs> hot. Um, so, <laughs> so, I don't think that was appropriate for either of us to comment on. You can say it. It's okay. Um, anyway, so what I was trying to get at was... I've been married a long time and I, I'm married to an amazing woman and yet she has failed me. It's just not her fault. I mean, maybe sometimes it has been right, but not always like sometimes like she, she's done things to hurt me. And so if, if, if I have, if I'm putting my, my faith in my wife, if I'm putting that, um, if, if I'm resting in her, then at some point I'm going to blow up worse than I ever have. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that, that's where my, that's where the, the struggle gets so yes. much deeper for me. And so, so I want people to feel comfortable um, and, and people that know me know this. Like I want people to feel comfortable working through things wherever they're at in life and however they're at, because for some of us, and, and I'll go on record as saying it, like I, I, I just decided that I'm going to try and use CBD oil to uh, non THC to <laughs> just in case, um, to, to, to sleep at night, presented by to sleep at night. Uh, and, and, and then some other things that I think it'll help with recovering things like that. But like, so, um, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm, if that's you, great. Like if, if it's, if you, if you're going to the doctor and he's prescribing something for you, great. If you're going to a therapist, great. All of those things though, have, have some emptiness to them. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so you, you just need to be prepared for the fact that, that they will. And, and, and I said earlier, like it's, 
it's not that God is not going to feel empty at times because cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Like we know that in our head. That just does not feel really great when I'm in the midst of an episode right. mm-hmm. or when people say to me, like, uh, be anxious but uh, about nothing, but by everything through prayer and supplication, da, 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 da. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, that don't help cool. either, right? <laughs> like what, what I go to, translation. what's that? He's anxious in that term. Yeah, like it's just bad joke. What I what I go to is like <laughs> like because again, this is like where where the Bible encourages me is like there's this moment for Jesus when he's in the garden before he is to go to the cross, mm-hmm. and he is so overburdened by what is about to come that he literally sweats blood. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like that is insane. So 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 that that shows me that we have a God that relates to us yep. and understands what we're going through, even at times when it feels like he's so far off right. that there's there's no answer. And I think that's the point that I was really trying to touch on. Not not in... So if we look at our last podcast and we talked about personal identity and making sure that you're identifying, and we kind of touched on today too, identifying in yourself and what is bigger than you. Yes, yeah. I think what I was trying to say in, in the sense of being willing to be open to faith if you're not open to having faith in a friend, not belief in that they are your cure-all but, yeah. or that they are your identity, but having faith that they are going to be there for you. Sure, sure. Having sure. faith that your family is going to help and that, that their best interest is in there for you only opens more doors at a higher level for you. Yeah. Right? Yep. You, can't, you can't get to God if you haven't opened the door to anybody below it. Yeah. Because God is only going to let you in. In, in the same facet of being able to recognize that it is him. I think he's always around. I think he's always trying to interplay in your life, but you're not going to be open to reading or receiving the messages unless you're open to somebody else being able, because he doesn't, he doesn't communicate through um, ways that would be completely out of the normal for us. Typically. Right. Oh yeah. No, no, no. Uh, if somebody isn't, isn't believing in miracles, he's not going to give you a miracle to look like mm-hmm. to look at because you won't believe it. Right. Right. He's going to send you a friend that's going to do something for you. He's yep. going to send you a phone call because that's something that you would relate yep. to and are more likely to pick up on. Yeah. And so to be able to have more situations where you have faith that good things happen or that you have faith that things are going to be okay is more of what I'm saying, especially for people who may not be completely ready to accept something bigger than themselves totally. or not at all. And yeah. those, those steps, I think, for me personally, especially, I, that, that's probably my own bias in it, is that I was completely shut off from that. When yeah. I was going through this, I was completely shut off from God. I didn't yeah. want to talk to him. I didn't want to deal with it because I kept sitting there and it was the very selfish thought of why is this happening to me? Yeah. Why am I going through this? What did I do to deserve this? Yeah. What burden have I been? It's that guilt that comes with it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like you did something wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it was payback. It wasn't until I started going, okay, my parents do care. Okay, my uncle does care. Okay, here's a message that shouldn't have happened. Okay, this one lady who cared to call for no reason at 4.30 in the morning called me because she cared enough to call me because something told her to call me because she said that something in her said he'll pick this up. Yeah, I, I actually I love that you said that last part there because I think what's what's really important is is when we see people for who they are in the best way possible, we can see so much more good in who they are in our life, right? Because again, when you're backed into this hole in this corner, or like Jesse, you said earlier, right? Like when, when, when you went through that really difficult time and it's like all these people around me, they're doing all these things. Like, does anybody even care? Mm-hmm. Like, does anybody even care? And like, what a lie from the pit of hell to ever think that people don't care about you. Yep. And yet, even, even though they could do a better job, you probably, right. But like, it, it it's, it's like, 
we're able to give people the benefit of the doubt. We're able to give people the benefit of their ignorance. We're able to like seek first to understand where they're at and why they're like not reaching out to us or doing whatever, because we haven't put everything on them and everything in them. Like, I think that's a big part of it too, because this happens like, again, like totally different topic, but like when I counsel couples to, that are going to be married, like this is one of the first things that I talk to them about is like, what are your expectations for your soon to be spouse? Because if you're stoked because you are now marrying your everything, you're screwed, Mm -hmm. right? Like you just, you literally are like, you are marrying another imperfect person. Like you are setting yourself up for the disaster, for disaster. So just get it out all on the table now and just be able to admit to each other that you're both going to screw each other up. Yeah. And like, that's just okay. <laughs> Welcome to marriage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Right. But it's just, it's reality. You mean right? We don't all get roses on our last date. And Man. I don't like jump roses. fences. And I wish no, a guy nobody watched The Bachelor. No. Okay. Cool. Just me. I heard I it. I watched it. I, heard I just it. said I wish a guy would jump, jump oh. a fence for me. That'd be nice. I don't. I Ryan, only. Ryan and I would jump a fence for you. Oh, thanks, guys. I only heard a story. I mean, I only heard uh-huh. it as a story. I, yeah. I didn't watch it. Yeah, you and George Curley have only heard a story. There's plenty of junk that I watch on TV. The Bachelor is not one of them. I just, just wanted to see him hop the fence. That was it. It was pretty impressive, actually. It was one bound. It was, that was I was shocked. I had to see it. I actually heard the story of him jumping the fence first, and then I went and watched the episode. I was like, wow, he actually like mm-hmm. I'm gonna Google it. From it. It was pretty funny. The like, did Colton he muscle up challenge. the fence straight up? Basically, it was like, yeah, just he, hopped and straight over. He would have done really good in 19.4. Yeah, oh. probably. Well, he was a pro football player at one point, so. But then he would have died in the burpees like everybody for sure. else. For sure, he has a lot of muscle mass. That would hurt him. <laughs> Tangent. Oh, man. Okay, so parting thoughts, Jessica Gay, you wonderful lady. Oh, no. Um, Anxiety is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not the greatest thing, but just, you know, shout out to everyone out there. Check on your friends with anxiety. It's okay. You can ask us. Um, No, I think we had a really good talk. I mean, I think all of our stories are completely different because we all came to anxiety from different backgrounds and different ways, but it's good to have like a foundational group of people around you like day to day, even though we're not in each other's lives every day, but we see each other every day just to know like, Hey, they have anxiety. I've got anxiety. I know what they're going through. I'm not alone. I mean, I think I even told you like all the good people have anxiety. Hmm? Nothing. (laughs) There's no truth to that. If you don't have anxiety, you're still pretty cool. Don't worry. She didn't. You have to be, it's not an exclusive club. We (laughs) don't just sit around and get nervous together. You don't want to join the club though. (laughs) Cody. All right. Um, Kind of touching on what Jess said, it's it's not the end of the world. You are not alone. Um, don't be afraid to talk about what you're feeling, even if you're not sure if it's an acute bout of anxiety or if you think it's something longer term. Um, talk to your friends and family, not just about this, about everything. Mm-hmm. Be open to being uncomfortable in conversations with anybody. Share things with people, even if you don't think they should know things like there should be nothing in your life that is so scary to tell somebody because you think of the way that they're going to react to that. Yeah. That's their problem, not yours. Yep. I think that the more conversations we have about anything, the more likely you are to get people who are going to reach out at times of need because they care about you because you've shared with them that you value their time uh, and they're going to return that with the value of yours. Um, the, the last thing I will say is whenever you're dealing with somebody who has anxiety and you're a little bit nervous, it's better to take the step and make the mistake than to wonder what would have happened if you took, if you if you wouldn't have taken the step and something happened, um, and and not that that's a burden that those people are responsible for, but I can tell you I've seen it enough times where people chose not to act because it made them slightly uncomfortable, and their friend 
maybe they didn't harm themselves, but they weren't the same person because nobody cared to reach out and it changed the way that their outlook on life was. Yeah. And conversely, the same thing. They changed the way their outlook because somebody reached out. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't have any final exhortation. I have a thank you. Thank you guys. Of course. Thanks. Um, gosh, every time I say this, I just know I have more coming. Um, I'm thankful this happened to me. Yeah, that's the way um, I look at it too. I, I don't want it again, but I have a feeling that it's not going to stop. Um, I, I think I know how to deal with it a little bit better each time, but who am I kidding? I screw things up all the time. <laughs> um, I'm really thankful. I'm thankful for a platform, mm-hmm. um, even if it's just for the one person that's going to listen to this hour and a half of us Shout ranting. Out. And... Um, and going to stop from making a really bad decision in their life yeah. or um, maybe for the first time in their life, feel like they're just normal. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I'm just super thankful. Um, it's pretty cool that we get the opportunity to do right. things like this. The one last thing I will add is I think that all three of us are extremely open to anybody who feels like they can't talk to anybody else for yeah. whatever reason. If you are listening to this and this is something you're dealing with, um, if if you know where Resolution CrossFit is, if you're not sure, contact Ryan. We can get in touch with any three of us, and I mm-hmm. think we'd all be open to talking to anybody about yeah. any of this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll <clears throat> I, um, I'll put some sort of contact information in the show notes. I mean, you all have mine, um, but I'll make sure to put yeah, each of ours in there. I know particularly if you're a woman and you're going through this, sometimes it's easier to speak to a woman when it comes to things like this, which Definitely. is totally fair. And I'm sure, Jess, you're open to that. Yep. Um, so yeah, so, uh, as I preempted when we started today, definitely a little bit different uh, than the norm, but I appreciate this because at the end of the day, it really does come down to what's in our head and, and how we're going to take what's in our head and apply that to how we live every single day of our life. That, that definitely is a mindset in itself. And so, uh, again, if that's you out there, if you've got something you're struggling with, you're dealing with, you need some help, you need some support please reach out to somebody, whether that's one of the three of us, somebody else out there. There are things, there are ways that you can continue to live the best life that you can possibly live. Um, You don't have to let something like this rob yourself of that. So with that, thanks again for listening to the Excellence Mindset Podcast. This episode is done. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Excellence Mindset with Ryan James Miller. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit ryanjamesmiller.com. We'll catch you next time.